I'm Stephen Downey, and you are very welcome to episode 29 of the Mindful Living Guide. This week is a really interesting episode. Before I got talking to this guest earlier, I knew nothing about her. I was recommended to speak to this lady by a very good friend of mine a long time ago when I put a shout out for a few guests. And the day has finally come where we got to sit down and have a good chat. Fiona Doherty is a psychotherapist. She works with uh, teachers from both secondary and primary. And she's an extremely interesting person. She's uh, studied mindfulness in the past. And we talk about the difference that mindfulness has made to her life and her journey and her perspective. And um, it's a real deep conversation. Uh, we do t- talk about some things that may trigger people. We talk about death by suicide. We talk about um, attacks that had happened to her in the past. And um, I will have support line at the at the end of the podcast if anyone is triggered and does need to seek help or to chat to people. I always recommend that we look for uh, those those help and uh, when we need it. So without further ado, uh, sit back and enjoy this week's very powerful episode of the Mindful Living Guide. You're very, very welcome to this week's episode of the Mindful Living Guide. And I have to say, for the first time in a very long time, and I've just admitted this to Fiona a second ago, I'm actually quite nervous. I know very little about our guest, apart from that she was recommended by a great friend of mine. And she said, Stephen, I know you're looking for guests. I have a friend called Fiona. She's a deep interest in mindfulness. She's a lovely lady and she radiates positivity. And it just in the last few seconds of just chatting away and our previous conversation, uh, we we talked back in March when we were meant to uh, have an, uh, an episode, but Oh, sure. I, I took a break and uh, we didn't get happening, but it's finally happening today. And I'm really excited to really get to know you, Fiona, and uh, and get to know about your, your interest in mindfulness. Um, so, Fiona Doherty, you are extremely welcome to the Mindful Living Guide. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> I'm not the only one nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, nerves are good. It means it means there's something deep. And I know you said yourself that um, when Fiona was talking to you about the show that you, you kind of it made you kind of look back at your own journey through mindfulness because I know you're you've um you studied a lot of mindfulness in the past and about can you tell me about the, the course that you studied absolutely I did the eight-week mindfulness-based course um actually did it in St. Pat's and not the teacher training college because people were saying well at least you're doing it in the teacher training college and I said no I actually did it in St. Pat's in the psychiatric hospital <laughs> And there's there's context around that too and um I had I suppose I'd always been very interested in I think my passion like I was looking at and thinking about you know coming on the course today and or on the interview today and my passion has always been trying to make sense of primarily my life you know why things happened to me um and how I could deal with it and how I could learn from um my experiences and there had been a couple of times where, um, you know, I would have been recommended, particularly as a child, and I was under the jurisdiction of my parents to go to a doctor. And I remember going at one stage and the doctor saying, well, I treated somebody else for this. 
with um, antidepressants, but you don't seem to me to be uh, to be depressed, but I give them give them to you anyway. And I thought yeah. that's absolutely crazy. Like that's you know yeah. so illogical. Yeah. So I um um well I suppose if I wrote back, I mean I did the mindfulness training in 2015. Right. And I did it at a time when there was massive upheaval in my life. Um, there had been, um, I had worked in special ed. So I worked as a primary, I worked as a secondary school teacher in a primary school, in a special primary school for about 30 years, over 30 years. And I worked out in Oberstown. So I would have worked, when I started teaching, I was teaching 37 and a half hours a week. Yeah. Uh, it took 17 years for my permanency to come through. So there was a lot of, you know, vulnerability in terms of tenure, Mm-hmm. Um, I had a mortgage. I had yeah. um, I I gave up working in Oberstown when I was expecting my second mm-hmm. daughter, um, because at that then I, I reduced my hours to teaching to twenty five hours a week, which is still more than I should yeah. have been teaching. Yeah. Um, and there was a, you know I often think I mean people bandy around you know ideas like um, hurt people hurt people or um, you know unless you do the work you know you keep on. Um, reproducing what it is that you don't know about. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think when I was in college and when I was training, I trained uh, with all nuns. We had a uniform. We were allowed out twice a week. Wow. <laughs> it was a lot stricter then. <laughs> well, I did it. I did home ec. So right. um, I don't. I think the nuns still have an involvement there. But it was in 1984. So it was in you know a very kind of religious Ireland yeah. and uh, the church, I think, had quite a hold on, on the country. And, um, you know, the training was absolutely brilliant. It was unusual, but it was, uh, you know, we, we did long hours and uh, worked really, really hard. I was in the countryside. I loved the country. Um, but I, I think when I was in, when I went into teaching, um, I really opted. I knew I liked the challenge. I liked working with with um, I suppose vulnerable kids. I didn't know it at the time, but I was always attracted to the ones that were um, more boisterous or cheekier or yeah. kind of pushing boundaries and pushing limits. And actually, for anyone that is listening and doesn't know about when you mentioned Oberstown, uh, Oberstown would be um, it would have very challenging. Uh, backgrounds for for a lot of the children that they, they would be dealing with a, a lot of issues themselves uh, that you were te- trying to teach as well oh absolutely yeah. absolutely but I think because I was a home ec teacher I think there were an awful lot of aspects of the subject that really um the kids defenses dropped yeah. because they were generally engaged in either cookery or in crafts yeah and I had you know and I, I'm a very relational person I love uh, yeah. You know, I love people. I love finding out about people and finding out what makes people tick. Because mm. you know, I suppose I spend my whole life trying to figure out what makes me tick. You know, so by default, <laughs> like like many of us, like many of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it was the human condition. Yeah. Um. So it, that was. I was really, really interested in finding out. I suppose, and I mean, I did a trauma informed course recently, and uh, I really think it's something that a lot of teachers need to be trained in. Yeah. But it's very much around uh, like asking the question, "What happened to you?" Yeah. Not, "Why are you doing that?" Mm. It's you know what happened, and it's a very different inquiry and a very different mindset. Yeah. But um, a lot of stuff had happened in the school, and um, you know, I, sp- I suppose you know, I really had been thinking. I suppose you know when I what brought me into doing the mindfulness uh, training. And 
we had had a particular one. One my last day of teaching was um, the twelfth of October, twenty fifteen, which is quite interesting because it's just coming into that now. Right. And um, you know, I'd come across an analogy about where you can put a frog into water and increase the temperature of the water, and the frog will adjust to its environment. But if you take that frog and put it into the same end temperature, the frog will die because of. So it's like we become. Yeah attenuated we become attuned to our environments we don't actually see or recognize you know in my situation it was a very toxic environment and um you know for my own reasons which may come out um i was really uh i was really protective of the kids that i worked with i had worked with generations at that stage of um you know, the students that had their, you know, yep. a lot of their their parents as well. So I was very yep. invested in, in the families and um, in the students. And I mean, you know, things had changed, times had changed. And, you know, I suppose what we were offering in terms of the school had changed. The, um, but on the various things that happened in the school and I, on the... 12th of October, as I said, I came out of the school and, you know, something had happened. My wrist had actually been broken shortly before that by a student. Right. And um, it changed my approach in teaching. Not my approach, yeah. but my mindset. Yeah. And I realised my vulnerability as a human. I realised my physicality as a human. And, you know, a lot of stuff had happened. I had three miscarriages through assault in the school. And when I was seven months pregnant on my fourth daughter, I was threatened by a student to have the baby kicked out of me. Oh, my and God. Yeah, it was hard, you know. So, I mean, I guess yeah. that, you know, challenge behaving behaviours are can be very, very difficult on the, on the professionals that are trying to hold that environment. Yeah. But, you know, equally, the environment had become, there was no expectations for the kids that we were working with. There was no jurisdiction. There was no... Yeah. A professional boundary there was no answerability mm -hmm. so I mean the kids used to say to me Fiona we can do what we want to hear and we can get away with it and it was unfortunately true yeah. and two of my colleagues that had bones broken within a couple of months before that and yeah. I used to say to the lads you know if you hurt me I will go to the guards yeah so when I was hurt because I'd had that kind of clear boundary for myself yeah I did go to the guards I jailed mm -hmm. with the student well, I didn't. I got a jail yeah, involved. Yeah, of course, with, with, of course. And I said, the family are fabulous. Like, they're really yeah. good. They really do the best they can with their kids. And um, so, you know, I mean, things happen and people act out. And it's not, we're never all of who we present. And and I knew that. And the guy, the guard who worked with him, worked really, really well with them. And, you know, it was a very, it was a very... Um, positive experience I would, I would hope for him and his family I'm, I'm getting an overwhelming sense of empathy from you uh towards towards the person uh that for the for the situation they were in um which is very unusual for a lot of people that if they were in that situation it's, it's very hard to kind of to look from both sides which I think yeah. is it because you had such a relationship with the families but that you had such history um, that you, you knew their background, you knew that you knew the people. Do you think that that might have brought that sense of empty? A big part of it, but I think you know, given my own life experiences, yeah, you know, I 
you know, I knew vulnerability in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that played a big part in it. And I think, you know, and it, it's actually, it's, it's a horrible thing in some ways to be a human who understands both sides of it, because sometimes there can really be an issue to, to bring in your own sense of boundary. Yes. Um, yes. But so I knew when I said that to him or to, to all of the lads, you know, if if I get hurt, I will go to the guards. I come yeah. from a family of guards. All of my, my dad, all my uncles, my granddad, they were all in the guards or uh, they're all teachers. So we've had kind of, um, I suppose, an expectation of, of uh, maybe answerability, but certainly, you know, working hard and doing the best that you can and life rewards that, you know. So I'd gone in, I'd gone into college really expecting that that, that would be my trajectory. You know, I'd work hard in college. Um, I'd been an absolute dosser when I was in secondary school. And I think I kind of grew up then, you know, when 18, I got into college and, you know, there were... I think there were about 500 applications for, mm-hmm. oh no, there were 2,000 applications, the, the 500 applications to my daughter's uh, school and placement in school. And um, there were about 2,000 applications for um, 56 places. Wow. So, you know, it was, yeah. it was hard thought. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was solid training yeah. and I was delighted. Like I, it was hard work, but yeah. I loved our training. I loved the discipline and I made the most amazing friends in right. college that, how it would be, you know, there, we're a tremendous support for each other, you know. And um, yeah, so I think that, that that really changed an awful lot for me in terms of my own safety. And yeah. um, I think, um, you know, it brought different realizations for me around how, like, I had been trying to get resources for the kids in school for a very long time. Yeah. I'd been, go- I'd gone to the department, the inspectorate, health and safety, TUSLA. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get the resources that the kids needed. Yeah. Um, so on in the October on the twelfth, my there was stuff that had happened in school, and my blood pressure went up to. I knew I felt really weird. I actually thought it was the menopause. Okay. <laughs> I ended the. I was very flustered coming home, and I went to the local pharmacist and I said, "Would you take my blood pressure?" Yeah. And it was one hundred and eighty-six. Whoa. Now, I know, you know, sometimes with these blood pressure, you know, they're, they're you know, different ones, you know, yep. vary. So um, I went down to my friend who has um, somebody in her family is a doctor and she had it and it was in around the same, yeah. um, um, you know, within a couple of, of parameters of that. And so I went to my own doctor the next morning and I went into the school and, you know, I just, I knew my 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 visceral sense had changed completely. My I felt really dysregulated. I felt very uh, vulnerable physically, right. which was very unusual for me because normally my head overrode everything that would happen. Yeah. So I could just kind of get in there and I yep. could do what I needed to do. And um, I went to the doctor and I said I I would like some psychiatric support with this because I said something has happened. So my mind yeah. wasn't helping me anymore to be able wow. to override you're my extreme, you're extremely proactive that you can you could sense something something wasn't right oh absolutely yeah. well i think because i mean i was getting pins and needles and i pains down my arms i was afraid i was going to have a stroke so i think that there's a lot that is um you know teachers hold an awful lot and there's a lot of judgment or a lot of blame or a lot of you know people hate that teachers have long holidays or teachers have the conditions that they have and they really have no idea of the responsibility and the energy that teachers carry and hold. 
So I think there's a lot of aspects of it that for me, and my ultimate, my ultimate thing I think is, you know, in working with teachers from a psychotherapeutic perspective, that it's offering support, you know, because I suppose that support wasn't there for me when I was looking for it, and it certainly wasn't when I was the, looking for it. And just for the, for the listeners, actually, it's, it's something we talked about before the interview that um, because of all these experience that you've actually gone, you now um, help um, see, teachers uh, as a psychotherapist, which is yeah. fantastic um, experience to bring to it as well. Yeah, well, it seems to be something that is really, um, you know, there's an awful lot in the spaces in between or the culmination of when words give rise to sentences. You know, there's a lot of sense that comes before before that's the outcome. So I think it does certainly seem to be um, something that's, it's rich. It brings a richness and a depth into the work, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. The, uh, if you go back, actually, do you, want, do you want to go back to the mindfulness course itself, actually, and chat about well, that? Is that? Is that okay with you? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were the mindfulness, it was interesting, I think, because the day that I went to see the psychiatrist was December the 17th. And sometimes I think, you know, with the with the best will in the world, I think, you know, professionals do try to get it right and people do try to offer support. And sometimes there are experiences that are so beyond people's um, capacity to understand that what they're offering really doesn't go anywhere near what the person needs. And when I went in, I was very, very dysregulated. A half an hour, they asked me in half an hour about my life and things that had happened. And I went in, I was in floods. I was absolutely in tears. And they said, no, we really would recommend that you go in um, to hospital. You know, you need to have some kind of support this. And I said, it's the week before Christmas. I have five kids at home. There's no way I'm going to hospital. <laughs> I'm laughing here at this because, again, that sense of agency that I brought to it, I, I was and still would be retrospectively, I was astounded by. I got a text that evening to say that one of my students who I'd worked really closely with, his um, twin had died by suicide. And that text, um, so I offered him a lot of support in the couple of years in between when his twin had died. And um, that text indicated to me that he had also died by suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry and to hear that. So it was it was so difficult it was it was and still you know it was um it was huge it was huge and I had loads of Christmas shopping in the boot of my car I got such a land I didn't lock the car door and my car was robbed <laughs> oh contents, my god half of the contents of my car were robbed half when I say half I bought two jumpers two shirts two perfume sets things like that and whoever broke into my car robbed one of each of them and I was grateful that they'd only taken one of them and it actually left me one of them you know isn't it funny like how the mind works oh stuff? my god Fiona it's so that was it's, a really difficult day <laughs> I I think that's a little understatement now that was a little difficult day um it's like people can't even fathom like the like how to to even just just to process that the text that you, yeah. you received that day and that the, the amount of work and effort that went in behind just getting to know this person and and um oh. i i know from my wife's experience with, uh, in school as well how close and how much you care for the person as well it can oh, be it can you can really I had, taught, you know. I had taught his wife so i actually turned out to be the only person that was with her 
at her husband's funeral. Oh. Her husband's family were there. There was the SWAT team were there. I had an unmarked policeman behind me and behind her. And I was the only person that was there. It was it was unbelievable. But I did it. And, you know, sometimes and it was one of the things that I thought of even today. And I was going, I, was, I won't use the word I was thinking of about Susan Jeffers. But I was saying I was thinking to myself, feel the fear and do it anyway. Like I was nervous about coming on here, but I do believe that there's an exceptionality about many lived experiences and it is about having the courage to show up and the day that Marie asked me would I do the podcast was the day after my mom's funeral and um I had I was really distraught like I you know I trained as a psychotherapist I, I trained in psychology I did a degree in psychology before I did the psychotherapy and um I had done a lot of different trainings on body. I did Reiki. I trained as a dietary therapist, a reflexologist. Um, I did a Reiki master, polarity wow. therapy. So I'd done a huge amount of training on, on, on the physical body, the mental, emotional and spiritual body. And when my mom died, it was like all those theories came into, came up for questioning. And um, I was really, understandably, really upset. And um, I think I'd gotten a message from Marie asking what I do, the podcast. And I was, I was, you know, I was saying my daughter was there and she was saying to me, um, my, I have five daughters. And um, one of them came up to me and she said, Mom, what would make it easier for you to, because I said to her, I, I understood grief and loss. Um, one of the things that really resonated for me with you from the very beginning was the impact that a very close family member's death had on you. And my seven-year-old cousin, who I babysat for the family, was very, very close to the family. He, he had an aneurysm one morning on his way to school and uh, he was dead within 24 hours. Oh and processing of his, mm. his um, death on his family I found really, 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 I found his death very difficult. And I found when you really love and care for people, the impact of their suffering is very difficult to witness. And um, so there was a resonance for me with that. And I would have looked at, and my mom was a very, very spiritual person. And she really believed in, in angels, in robins, white feathers. I've, I've white feathers everywhere. Some yeah. of them are very dirty white feathers, but they're, and uh, so when I thought when my mom died and I had talked to her about, you know, um, existentialism and about afterlife and she really believed in, in uh, uh, and I would say inverted commas of heaven. She didn't, she didn't inverted commas, but I do, because I do believe that the God that people project out is the good within us, you know, that it's spirituality. It's all about how, for me, religion has to be a lived experience and it's about how we treat each other and how we treat, treat ourselves. And I really thought when my mom died, I was going to see rainbows in the trees. Like I really expected that I was going to see something different in the world because she wasn't here. And I didn't. And uh, one of my daughters was downstairs the day of the funeral, the day after the funeral. And she, was, she took a video and she was saying, Mom, there's three robins in the garden. And so, but they had their back to the video. And I was thinking, oh, they could be sparrows. They could be little wrens, like, and um, so, you know, when, when my other daughter said to me, Mom, what, what, what would help you? What do you need to see? And I said, I need to see a robin. 
And the day that Marie, when Marie texted me that, and I saw the text coming in at the same time, my daughter shouted up at me and she said, Mom, Mom, there's a robin in the back garden. Uh-huh. And I, the other daughter, because I've, you know, I need glasses for distance. Yeah. One of my other daughters grabbed my glasses so I could see it. So this thing all happened really fluently. <laughs> Grab my glasses. Oh, wow. Glasses, see the robin in the back garden. And I was saying, mm. thanks, Mom. Thank you, because that's what I needed. Before I came on here today, my husband said, this, Nellie's back. She, there's a robin in the back garden. Oh, wow. So he, these are signs. This, you know, it's, 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 it's nerve wracking kind of putting yourself out and doing something yeah. like this. I like, know you. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I didn't yeah. know what the impact of what I would say would have on, on you or anybody. Yeah. And yet I found, um, I guess I get, I've had uh, strange things that have happened to me. So something like that would be, for mm-hmm. me, an indication that there is something, yeah. you know, and it has been open to yeah. the possibility that, yes, this could be my mom and this could be a mm-hmm. sign. So when I was asked to do the podcast, I thought, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. You know, just, you know, be courageous, even though yeah. it's difficult, yeah. just step into and know that you will get the support and you will get the yeah. help and you will be able to do it. It sounds like you have a, an amazing supportive family around you. They're great, and, uh, yeah. I was going to say there a few minutes ago, I remember about the time that um, you said to me when you were dealing with the grief of losing your, your mom that I don't have much experience of losing a parent. And it's so true. <laughs> that there's, but there's so many people out there that it, it yeah. can be one of your first, um, your, your first experiences with grief. And um, it's, 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 it sounds like there's, there's been a very spiritual side to it as well, though, that um, that uh, seeing those little signs. I, I have the same thing all the time with um, little feathers and my daughter, mm. actually, she's gas. She's a 10 year old, but she's she's got the spirituality, I'd say, of a 50 year old. She's unbelievable. Yeah. And um, she'd often come in with a little feather or a little sign or something. And uh, just know. And I, I think like. I think it's just about having a little faith that there's some goodness out in the world and Absolutely. that there's, there's all these signs um, that, that come to you. And so I, like, it's, it's very funny. Like I, ca- I came on to, to chat to you and I, I thought we were going to talk about, uh, about mindfulness, about uh, the, the MBS already done. And we've chatted about something which, oh my God, it's so deep and it's, it's so, it's, it's so impactful, I think as well um it's the, i really have i've gotten a lot from listening just to your pure empathy um uh, for someone who has gone through so much so much in the past and um you're still shining shining the light and and helping others in teaching in in in, in sorry in, in your, your psychotherapy with, with with teachers as well and um you you really should be honored for the and i'm so happy that marie has actually had recommend you because i can see what she said i can see that the 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 positivity and the light that that just shines from within uh on it um i i'd love to like to talk about like you your experience now like it's it's, it's many it's many months on from from losing your mom and it's, it's like how, how does it sit with you now how do you think over time that that grief has has changed or is it still there all the time? Uh, there's still processing, a lot of processing. I think because after my mom died, my brother-in-law died and my uncle died, 
then three of my very close neighbours died and two of the kids that I had in school who I would have worked with and I went to the funerals. I saw them laid out in coffins. And, you know, I mean, it really brings home the preciousness of life and um, the importance, I think, for me of dealing with trauma, of dealing with um, the reality of what, what, what life brings. And, um, you know, I had a really, and I think it's one of the things, I mean, when I did the mindfulness training and I was thinking about, you know, the before and the after. And um, when I was trained as a psychotherapist, I'd also, I was literally just starting to do the mindfulness training. Um, so I had done the mindfulness training and then we were doing, you know, the, the first year of the psychotherapy training. And then I think as I began to unpack, um, a lot of the things that had happened, it, the mindfulness became the lens with which I could do that. And I didn't realize the, the enormity of messages or spiritual signs that had happened to me in the past that gave credence to the importance of presence and right here, right now, you know. And um, my mom laughed at me one day, I was saying it to her, she was in hospital at one point, she was in 1982, and she was. She was really, really unwell. And um, I really didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And I was walking up Grafton Street and it was a time that I, I don't know whether you remember, the Children of God. Do you remember the Children of God? They were like, a, I think they were like a sect that were going around and they were praying for people. Right. I think I've heard of the name. <laughs> Do you think there was there a film yeah, about I think it would have been a little bit. Of, I think there probably, I think yeah. there was. I, I don't even know if it was these, but some. Yeah guy approached me and I was going up to get a bus to go over and see my mom she was in hospital and yeah as I said she, she was really 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 vulnerable and uh and he said um could I would you mind if I said a prayer with you and uh, you know my own head I was going Jesus you know, I really don't have time for this like, I'm, you know, busy. I'm busy I'm you yeah. know I've got and I just thought you know this was really important to my mom you know her own religion and then more more so as I like all of my kids went to educate together and I just really have such a um you know I have a, a very expansive um appreciation of what it is to be human I think and you know I don't I didn't want them to be judgmental I didn't want them to be you know compartmentalizing I wanted them to have um strength of character and um understanding of what it is to to experience difference in the world. And um, so anyway, I was, I was um, walking up and he said to me, you know, would you mind if I said a prayer? And so I said, oh, well, no, off you go. And like, I said, Jesus Christ, like, I mean, you know, it's like, you're not going, I'm not holding hands with you, I'm not doing, you know. <laughs> I was mortified. Yeah. But at the same time, the, you know, it was a more than that kind of, a, you know, it was like, this is for my mom. So, but I had a very, a very, um, I, I don't even know what it was, to be honest with you. I find it's very difficult to put words on it. But what I experienced was myself and him. But it was as a, as a it wasn't the humanity. But it's really hard to put words on it. But I was in a pillar of light. I was in, in, I was in pure energy and pure light. And it was so energizing. And it was so not of this world. There was, I, I had no sense of anybody else being around me. And, you know, it was, there was no ego. There was, it was just, it was so expansive. 
And, and I knew my mom was going to be okay when I came out of it, when I went back to her yeah. enough to get the bus. But uh, I, I never talked to people about that. I, I've never wow. really talked to anybody uh, about that. Do you think, the experience, was it, was it the, the prayer he said, or was it, what, what do you think brought on this experience? I, don't, I think it was divine intervention, to be absolutely honest with you. Yeah. And when I was saying about my mom being okay, I didn't know whether yeah. she was going to live or die. Okay, it was very serious. But, it, and that wasn't even the part of it. It was the expansion of, and the, the understanding of, of our, our, our cellular being and us all being in, we're all, it's like a soul energy and that whatever it is that happens to us is what's meant to happen to us. And there's a bigger plan and there's, there's um, more than we will ever, ever understand that plays out. And she was okay. She was okay. I often, um, I say the words, things happen for a reason. And it's kind of like a, it's, it's a deep belief in what you're just saying there that there is, I think there is a plan for us all. And it's like, it's, it's like, it's, it's like that, that it's, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and I deeply understand this experience because I know I've had similar experiences in the past where you just, just have this deep understanding that everything is going to be okay. It's not even a, it's not even in, I don't know if I use the word in this realm. It's like that you just, you, yeah. can, you can feel that the, the energy is flowing where exactly it's meant to be, if that makes sense. Um, wow. That, that what, what an experience. With, it was it was incredible, but I put it to one side because right. you know I didn't understand it, um, and that you know there were there were major there were, there were huge things that happened to me a couple of times in my life. Um, that was in eighty two and eighty three. I had a very difficult experience um, when I was in college with uh, somebody that I was going out with at the time, and that led me to be suicidal. And it was only when I was training that I understood, it was when somebody else was mirroring back for me that they had been in a situation, that they had gone to the guards, well, the police over, because it was something that happened in the UK. And I had a very visceral body experience to what she was saying. And so, you know, I began to really look at how trauma is held in the body and how, okay. you know, we really have to make sense of it and there there are ways of making sense of it Mm. and that you know like I think for for a long time I thought all of what happened to me was disjointed and it didn't have a story and it was because we don't realize it's it's our body our soul our mind that there's a connection we we think we're moving forward all the time we never really give enough respect or credence to how we you know our defense mechanisms I suppose or how our brain protects us and you know, sometimes the enormity of things that happen to us, we put behind us because we can't deal with it. And um, I think, you know, when my net, when my cousin died in 84, I turned my, my, I turned against like anybody. How could it be just and loving God if that could happen, you know, to somebody? And how could a just and loving God want, you know, for, for people to suffer or for any of us to suffer? And so I often think in, the Buddhist tradition, when we talk about, or, you know, in, in Buddhism, they welcome suffering. Yeah. They welcome the growth of the soul or the expansion of 
the heart, yeah. I think, you know, because I, I often think, you know, when a heart is broken, there's more light getting in. And then we grow and we accommodate that. And, you know, our life becomes fuller. So yes. I think. There's a great story about the the lotus and the mud. They're like a, yeah. a, a lotus needs yeah. mud to grow. And uh, it kind of often we don't we don't want to see the mud, but we don't see the beauty without the mud, you know. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. Uh, and that was the thing that I think my, when my uncle died and he had a couple of things that happened where trauma had really, really impacted on him uh, in his profession. One thing happened and yeah. but profound and he ended up with um, and I believe it was it was a condition that was caused because of trauma and had no way of being able to deal with it. So for me, yeah. each death that I have experienced this year in the last mm-hmm. yeah, year, more so the last six months, um, you know, with each of them, I think with my mom, every day I wanted to live to honor her. And, um, but then when, when my uncle died, it was the impact of trauma and how that can impact on the body and the mind and, you know, and connection and relationality because trauma takes us away from being relational. And um, now he was very, he was very relational, but, um, but I think it was like a, a, a persona or something. And so that's where for me, mindfulness essentially is a relationship with ourself. And you know, when we develop that relationship with ourselves, and for me, I have learned that it's right here, right now, it's almost like my mantra, right here, right now, I'm doing the best that I can. Because I did then the compassion focused mindfulness training. Brilliant. Yeah. And so when you're looking back at times and, you know, there may have been imperfections in life or I may have done things or other people did things and I want to kill them. Like (laughs) I have to learn forgiveness and I have to learn compassion. And I do know people do the best they can, but sometimes it's not good enough. You know, so I think putting me in the equation of mindfulness and minding myself and taking the time to look after myself then gives me kind of the respect that's due to me. And then I can give respect, you know, you know, on, on that, on that, uh, you know, I like throw the stone into the water and it can just, it can just, uh, you know, uh, ripple outwards, you know. It's really the mindfulness and, and focus on it was really, really. And I think it's, really good. Yeah. I think it's important to say, actually, and I think you've kind of touched on it a bit as well, is that a lot of people, when they study mindfulness for the first time, it can actually bring up, a lot of uh, emotion because you're getting you're you're getting um you're getting deeper connection with your inner self because you're sitting with a lot of these emotions and there can be some difficult practices in mindfulness like there's the rain practice where you're looking at a difficult situation and uh, you're looking back and it can it can bring stuff Mm. up but i Mm. think one important element uh is the compassion it's uh it's the non-judgment it's it's been able to, and it's extremely difficult to do, is to be able to sit with something uncomfortable without judging it. Just, just sitting with it and just, like my, my mindfulness teacher says, you just polish around the edges. You know, you're not, mm. trying to, you're not trying to sharpen it. You're not trying to fix it. You're just kind of gradually polishing around the edges of the difficulty. And okay. eventually it gets so small that you can understand it and you can, you can live with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's amazing. I've, I, I could talk to you all for a long, long time. And I, I have a funny feeling that we've many conversations to go from here. Um, there's, there's a question, actually, I, I ask um, all of my guests. And yeah. 
it's it's about mindful living and i think you the journey that you've brought us on over the last uh over this episode is phenomenal and i know it'll have a deep impact on on people and i think that's testament to the person you have become uh because of this journey and how open you are about 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 your journey so the question I ask everybody um, is what does mindful living mean to you and what so Fiona in your journey in your life everything that's experienced what does what does it mean to live a mindful life? Um, you know I, I, it's a lot I my mom my mom used to always I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt said um, tomorrow's a mystery today's no, what did she say? Um, the past is history, the future a mystery. The present is a gift, or today is all we have. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I can't remember exactly. I should know. She, she didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say it often enough. But it's the gift that's in presence. And you know, when I was, you know, I, I think we have a responsibility to raise our consciousness. You know, um, you know, I kind of alluded earlier on to how. I really do think we have a responsibility to, you know, to honour our past and to honour our, whether it's our heritage and our culture and um, to do the work because, you know, I have that belief that what what cannot be remembered will be repeated or that there's, like there's the unconscious energy becomes our destiny. So we draw mm-hmm. to us the things that we need to learn and that if we're open and then, you know, the, it's kind of like a compassion for ourselves, part of mindfulness that is really, and it was something that I heard Brené Brown talking about, and it really, really helps me and helped me an awful lot, which was, and helps me still. Um, she was saying when you're challenged and, um, you know, and, and, and somebody's really triggering you and you really, you might know, feel like going for the jugular or feel like saying mm-hmm. something. And she said, don't talk, don't type, don't think, stand your sacred ground. And I often think of that when it comes to mindfulness and when you're triggered and, yeah. and all of that, it's like, you know, when you just take that breath and say, you know, I, this is my precious life too. And I'm not, I don't want to belittle or undermine myself or embarrass myself by actually saying or doing what it is that I really want to do yeah. when my defenses kick in. And I think as well, you know, with Mandela, and I really, really loved um, that, you know, it was one of the things that for me, in turn, and there were a lot of people, I think, that, you know, over, they really weren't, they weren't good enough. They didn't show up in a good enough way. I know they were doing their best, but it wasn't good enough. And, you know, and I really, you know, I had to do a lot of rituals around letting them go and, oh, you know, I wrote poetry and uh, I'm in... <laughs> Many, many love and kindness meditations. I had to, I had to, yeah, burn, burn a lot of paper, burn a lot of things. <laughs> but I always think Mandela, and it was something that I do EMDR to have me process my my traumas, and my EMDR lady is absolutely phenomenal. She's just what, what's EMDR stand for? Sorry, I've, I've never. Oh really? No. It's it's eye movement and desensitization reprocessing. Oh, so okay. really, what it is that happens is bi- it's bilateral um, work. Yeah. So you're working from left to right brain because, you know, I haven't done like I really love neuroscience. I love polyvagal theory, which is really the science around safety. And I think you had yeah. somebody 
on talking about, um, you know, the brain and how, you know, yeah. we have to honor our brain we, and we have to honor our body. We have to look after ourselves and do the best that we can yeah. with what we know, with diet, with sleep, with, but, you know, like I remember when, with a psychiatrist and saying, he's saying, I know what's happened to me. It was the amygdala hijack. And he was like, I just rang to give you medication. And it's like medication was never going to do it for me. Yeah, if you need, but, need it, there was processing you know, that to be done. Yes. And in learning, um, you know, around forgiveness and around it was for me. They, mm. it, I'm doing this to honor myself. And I and I really loved what Mandela, Mandela said, which was, you know, when, when he was leaving prison mm. and he was saying, as I stand before the door to my freedom, I realized that if I do not leave my pain, anger and bitterness behind me, I'll still be in prison. And forgiveness doesn't make you free. It doesn't make you weak. Yeah. It sets you free. It doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. And for me, it, you know, this is my life. Yeah. And it's the preciousness of how I live my life and how if I can bring out the, if I can give myself the best and bring out the best and be kind and compassionate to myself. But mindfulness has been a huge journey for me with all of that. And it's, it, it really, ha it has slowed me down. Like I anticipated you asking me, you know, if you're going to tell people, what would you, what do you do? Yeah. And I was going to say to you, I do as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And it's, and it's a great way to be as little as possible. It's, um, there's a lot of people strive to do as much as possible. And I think it's, it's not well, until yeah. we actually realize <laughs> what, what's important in life uh, that we try to try to set cut back on that. Yeah. Fiona, I, I know that we're definitely going to have more conversations uh, ourselves. Um, I really unbelievably enjoyed this episode. And I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I, I've learned an awful lot about you. I've learned like I've learned depths of compassion that I can only dream about uh, that you've, you've shown through your career, through the career you have now and through just the stories that you shared with us. And um, I, I really do believe what you said about divine inspiration and that things happen for a reason when they're meant to happen. And so I'm so happy that we got to have this conversation and I know that um, it will hopefully help people or even trigger people um, in a positive way um, on their own journeys. Uh, we've talked about many things and, and I always, when we have a, an episode where we talk about um, some difficult conversations that I'll always have help and support lines on the show notes and I'll put it in at the, at the end of this episode. Uh, just if anyone does feel like they, they need extra help or need to talk to, to somebody uh, following this episode. So Fiona Doherty, thank you so, so much for being a guest on the Mindful Living Guide. You're so welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Now, you may have thought the podcast episode was over, but after we were chatting, I realized I forgot to ask Fiona how people can get in contact with her. So we hit the record button again and uh, I've offered my apologies to Fiona. So, Fiona, if people have really connected with you, which I know they will over this podcast episode and uh, especially any teachers in, in secondary that I know you, you do a lot of help for. Um, how did they get in contact with you? Primary or secondary. Oh, oh welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, Fiona Doherty at Outlook.ie. That, that's all work. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll put that on the show notes page as well. Uh, so people can get in contact Perfect. as well. And uh, they can they can contact with you. So listen, for a second time, 
Fiona Doherty, thank you so much for being on the Mindful Living Guide. I really do appreciate your time and you've been a phenomenal guest, which I know a lot of people will get from your vulnerability, your openness and just your expansive appreciation for life. So thank you so much for a second time for being on the Mindful Living Guide. Thanks, Stephen. So that was episode 29 of the Mindful Living Guide. Wow. What a powerful episode. Fiona is unbelievable. I, I know at the start I said I didn't know where this episode was going to go and and I didn't expect actually a lot of the stuff she, share, she shared. Um, she's had an unbelievable journey and I'm very grateful that she has shared her story with us, shared her journey and it's unbelievable. I, I just, I can't get over the amount of empathy that she has showed. Um, she really is an amazing person. So listen, thank you so much. Um, I do have to say though, if her story in any way has triggered you, please talk to someone. Please, please, please. There's many people out there that you can talk to and ask for help. If it's not someone close to you, there's numbers like the Samaritans. The number is 116123 in Ireland. And there's also Pieta House. You can simply text help to 51444. That's help to 51444. Or you could call them on 1-800-247-247. There is always someone out there that wants to listen and wants to help. So if you have been triggered by the episode in any way, please just talk and get help. And the only thing left for me to say is thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your precious day to listen to the Mindful Living Guide. And I really hope that it helps you on your own journey and helps you to just look at life from a different perspective, to open your eyes up to the power of mindfulness and where it has helped myself and many of our guests in the past, past, and I hope that it might be able to help you. So thank you so much again for listening to the Mindful Living Guide. I'm Stephen Downey and this has been the Mindful Living Guide.